welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Dr. Francis Summer Anderson, a licensed psychologist and psychoanalyst who is treated mind-body pain for the last 40 years and who originally studied with Dr. John Sarno. She is the author of Bodies and Treatment and co-author of the book Pathways to Pain Relief. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Um, I'm very excited to have um, Dr. Anderson on the program. Um, I have known her off and on for about 10 or 15 years. We've crossed paths in our mind-body syndrome world. There's lots of terms for that disorder. And what I'm excited about is that she has a huge depth of experience. You were, I didn't, I, I didn't realize that you were actually trained by Dr. Sarno. Is that correct? Yes. So, um, Frank, can you give us a little background to um, your skill sets and your practice and, and what you've done in the last few years or more than a few years? More than 40. Yeah. Um, I came to Rusk Institute where Dr. Sarno was practicing to do my clinical psychology internship in 1979, actually 1974. And uh, initially I worked with people with muscular dystrophy and that was um, interesting and very draining. And Dr. Arlene Feinblatt, a psychologist, was helping Dr. Sarno refine his theory about uh, back pain, chronic back pain. And I was able to join that service in 1979. So Dr. Feinblatt, who we call the mother of TMS, uh, uh, she trained me and then she began to train other psychology uh, interns. And we met uh, with Dr. Sarno uh, once a week in a team approach, the physical therapist, the occupational therapist, the psychologist, and Dr. Sarno uh, met weekly to talk about the patients. And in those early days, Dr. Sarno had an inpatient program okay. for people who had been through multiple surgeries and had not gotten better. Okay. So they had a very intensive approach. There were also outpatients that okay. we saw. Right. First of all, for the audience, TMS stands for tension myositis syndrome. That was Dr. Sarno's term. And his idea was that chronic stress creates muscle tension, which creates pain. And we also know there's lots of additional factors now. Another terms are stress illness syndrome or mind-body syndrome. Um, those are different terms also used for this process about how um, stress translates into physical symptoms. And Dr. Sarno was clearly a pioneer in bringing these concepts into the um, mainstream thinking. So you're, you were right in on the ground floor as he was evolving his concepts. Yes. Yeah. And as you know, his book on back pain is one of the most widely read books in the world. I mean, it still continues to be a bestseller and it's a remarkable book. And I have, you know, the work that I'm doing with um, back in control and in the doc journey is basically an extension of his work. He didn't have the neuroscience that we have had the last 10, 50, right. last five years. So we're basically taking his concepts and it's basically correct. And we're expanding those into different realms, different chronic diseases, et cetera. But uh, he was definitely ahead of his time. 
And I'm curious from your perspective, you came into a service, you, you didn't know him. I'll just ask a, one specific question. What was it like? What was he like? What was it like working with Dr. Sardo? He was uh, funny. He was a little scary because he had a very authoritative stance. Okay. And so sometimes we were, uh, you know, on, we were always on our best behavior. Okay. And then before you knew it, he would crack a joke. And okay. he was very funny, very inspiring, a true collaborator with the people on his team, with the psychologists and with all the other rehabilitation professionals involved. So that was so exciting to be able to collaborate with a physician on this work. And I'm curious as his approach evolved, but also your approach evolved, if you remember back to where you started before you started working with him and just considered the next five or 10 years, how did your approach change based on working with him as far as chronic disease, chronic pain, et cetera? What, what happened in, from your perspective? What was changing in your mind? Dr. Sarno provided the medical di examination, medical diagnosis that the client, I'm going to call them client or person needed. Right. And in order for uh, me, the therapist, to do my work, I can't, as a psychologist, I can't make a diagnosis of right. my syndrome. I can guess right. and I learned to be pretty good at it. But it's very important to have the medical evaluation and the physician explain the diagnosis and educate the patient. That's invaluable. Right. And then from a psychology standpoint, though, what he taught, I think, the world was that emotional pain, and we now know from MRI scans that emotional pain and physical pain are processed in the same part of the brain. Yeah. Back then, that wasn't known. So he was teaching that basically if you aren't feeling emotional pain, it'll manifest somehow as physical symptoms. And that was a new concept, which now seems fairly obvious to all of us. But back then that was quite new. Um, that wasn't that well received by his colleagues. Not at all. And he was, uh, some people think of him as a, uh, a lone wolf. Okay. People think of him as a lonely pioneer. Okay. As he was ostracized among the medical community at NYU and in New York City. But he persisted, nevertheless. He was devoted to his patients and he was, he continued to learn and study and revise his theory uh, every, every, every year. So he was open to learning. He was definitely open to learning. And he allowed the therapists, the psychotherapists working with him to have their own theoretical point of view. And even though he was influenced by Freud and continued to study Freud, in fact, um, Dr. Sarno was open about having um, mind-body symptoms himself. Okay. And in fact, uh, he is known because he did go to 
um, psychoanalysis himself for his symptoms. Okay. And he learned much there, learning about himself, and he okay. helped him help people. And so he was respectful of the individuality of his, uh, the therapist who worked with him. So that gave me the freedom to pursue um, an analytic training that started uh, being influenced by Freud, of course, and then moved on to find uh, myself in a relational, a contemporary, a modern contemporary relational psychoanalytic theory, which is different from a Freudian theory. Whereas Dr. Feinblatt pursued intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy developed by Dobbinlu. And Alan Abbas is right. practitioners who uh, follows that path as well. Then Alan has done, done a lot of ongoing research with that process, right? Yes. Can you tell me what that stands for again? I never remember that term. Intensive? Um, I, I am intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy. Right. So he just brings, the essence of the process, he just brings emotions right to the surface, but helps a person feel safe in the presence of uncomfortable emotions. Is that correct? That's yes. And they do it very quickly. And I have a question to ask you, and I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist at all, but my understanding is that Freud actually figured, figured a lot of this out back in the 1880s and that Freud was a neurologist. And when he presented his views to his fellow neurologist, he was just laughed out of the room. And it wasn't until before, just before he died that he began to write about this again, that the body manifests your thoughts. Yes. Because mm-hmm. Freud, am I correct in that, that Freud did figure this out many? Yes, his, early, his earliest patients had conversion symptoms. Their right. body was not working and he had to figure out why their body wasn't working when there was, there was not a structural or organic problem that could be identified. So I'm going to, I won't go too, I won't go too deeply down this rabbit hole, but the medical profession now has a new term called medically unexplained symptoms. Mm-hmm. And when you said the word conversion reaction, could you explain to the audience what a conversion action reaction is? A conversion reaction is when a person has a physical symptom, for example, let's say suddenly they can not use if they're right-handed, suddenly they cannot use their right hand right, for no apparent reason and right. no organic basis can be identified. Right. It's a very specific. So I've dealt with a few conversion reactions over the years. And of course, in medical school and residency, you're taught if somebody has a quote conversion reaction, in other words, hysterical blindness, you get hysterical paralysis, et cetera. So the word hysterical implies that, you know, you just can't cope and you're just out of your mind. And this is a some sort of a quote psychological issue. The bottom line is your right arm doesn't work. You really are paralyzed and your brain just simply flips a switch and shuts down. And an example of that, of course, under extreme torture, people go hysterically blind. I mean, they, they go blind. They cannot see. Mm-hmm. So these are not casual symptoms. They're not made up. They're not malingering. In medicine, we're taught the opposite, that if you can't find a structural problem, that it's not, then the symptoms can't be real. Yes. But that's why I want to bring up, that's why your term conversion reaction triggered the thought about these medically unexplained symptoms. So as you well know, 
patients, patients in chronic pain get labeled, all sorts of labels. Yes. Can you share with can you share with the audience just some of the labels that you hear that patients are feeling by their medical care providers and families and stuff? Um, the medical labels that I hear about. Mm-hmm. Well, just the labels in general from their family, friends, the doctors. I mean, I know I once made the mistake. I'm not going to repeat this. I made the mistake once giving a lecture to orthopedic surgeons about what they labeled their pain patients, and it was not a pretty. I won't, I won't do that again. It was really untoward how negative the labels were that surgeons had on their patients that they could not, quote, find a problem with. Uh, well, conversion used to be, uh, back in the 50s and 60s, uh, a common term that was used, a label, a diagnostic label. And then uh, the diagnoses uh, changed to be uh, not really a diagnosis, but a term like um, help rejecting complainer. Well, I'm sorry, what was it? Help rejecting, rejecting complainer. Right, got it. Okay. And uh, then there were terms like, um, well, depression. Um, sometimes uh, a practitioner would slip in uh, this person is clearly hysterical, and that was the diagnosis. Right. That's a loaded it's, term, by the way. It's very doctors. loaded, and it's um, it's devaluing. Right. And it's very unfortunate. Right. So the so here's a problem with medically unexplained symptoms. So the last ten years of neuroscience research has clearly shown that when you sense threat, either mental threat or physical threat your whole body fires up, your adrenaline goes up, cortisol goes up, but your inflammatory markers go up. And so your whole body is absolutely on fire. You have dramatic physiological changes that create physical symptoms. And so, as you know, there's over 30 physical symptoms that occur from sustained threat. And Mm -hmm. so the term medically unexplained symptoms to me is sort of the final label that to me is incredibly affronting because your entire body's out of balance. And that's how symptoms are created is by the body's physiology, not a bone spur. Absolutely. And so um, the labeling is disastrous. The essence of the problem is ongoing threat. The essence of the solution is creating safety. And when you're labeled, of course, that is the antithesis of safety. When you go to your doctor, you wanna feel safe. And when you're labeled by your doctors, um, linger, lazy, drug sinker, whatever you want, whatever the labels are, and also your family does the same thing, you don't feel safe. So um, that to me is sort of the final straw as far as how far the medical profession has gone off base and the way they address these true physical symptoms, but they're caused by the body process in the environment and creating a physiological bath of, of threat. Yeah. So, I, I, um, so I want to talk about this in the second podcast a little bit, but I'd like to get back to Dr. Sarno. So what I'm guessing that you were seeing some unusually powerful healing under Dr. Sarno's care. Mm-hmm. Now, the people who probably had the most dramatic cures, I didn't see because they were cured by Dr. Sarno or by reading Dr. Sarno's books. The way some people can be cured by reading your books, working on your program, and you never see them, you never hear from them. Same with Dr. Schechter, 
um, Dr. Strax, Dr. Schubiner, um, the, the power of a diagnosis to help someone feel safe and help right. them understand why they're feeling the way there is, that goes very far. Right. People who have not resolved their symptoms often need some extra help. And I've been thinking about this very seriously recently. Um, what is the most helpful point of view I can take when I meet a new patient who has not been able to find relief after seeing other doctors, maybe even several doctors? And thinking in terms of the research on attachment, Okay. How it affects our ability, our capacity to be soothed. I'm thinking, what does this person need from me to feel safe in their body again? Okay. After all, if we're feeling safe in our body, when we don't become concerned and stuck on a sens particular sensation randomly. Right. Uh, we, we pay attention to what goes on in our body and we seek help if we need it, And but we're not afraid. And right. people who have grown up afraid in uh, very stressful situations um, and maybe who were not adequately soothed, often they weren't adequately soothed, but if the stress was high enough in those early years when the brain is being shaped, it's they they may need more help later in life. And I think right. it's important that we understand that some people may need extra help and not right. apologize them for um, you know not not being able to believe the theory and get better as soon as they read the theory. Right. And get a diagnosis. Can, can you define the word attachment for the audience? Um, attachment is the term that was developed in the 50s and 60s um, by the British psychoanalyst and psychiatrist John Bowlby. And we've known about attachment for thousands of years, but he developed that term and it, he used it to refer to how a young child, and he studied children as early as a year and a half, two years, three years, and so did his followers. How does that child react when they are separated from their primary caregiver? And so attachment is defined in terms of the person's behavior when they are distressed by being separated from their major caregiver. And the sign of a securely attached young child is they can tolerate the absence, being separated from their, let's say it's their father who brought them in. Okay. And they can be separated from the father, initially distressed, but then they can self-soothe as early as three years old, two, even two years old. Okay. If they're not securely attached, 
then they um, they may just not even notice that the father has left the room. They may be unable to be soothed for the entire period that he's out of the room. Okay. Or they may have mixed reactions. So what we have learned is that a secure attachment means that early in our life, we have been seen and heard. We have been soothed and we have felt safe. Right. And so it gives you a foundation for going through the rest of your life with some confidence and skills. And unfortunately, you know, the ACE data, the adverse childhood experiences data shows that only a third of children have an ACE score of zero. And ACE meaning you have things like mental health issues in the family, parent in prison, parent on drugs, you know, emotional, sexual, physical neglect and abuse. So there's lots of, it's just a scoring system. So it turned out that over a third of America um, really abuses their kids. I mean, over a third of America has what's called high A scores, which obviously would indicate a very poor attachment, right? If I go by your definition, that's a poor attachment. Mm -hmm. So if you're hyper vigilant or hyper alert right from the beginning, that's the way you, you live the rest of your life. And I'm going to say this tongue in cheek, but it's actually not your fault that you were programmed that way. Not at all. And it, it's right. how you responded to the environment, right. the, both the physical environment, the sociocultural environment. If you grew up in a war zone, that's part of the foundation for your attachment. Were right. you soothed in the context of the war zone or were people terrified and fleeing and hiding? Right. How could you feel secure? Right. And, and of course, again, going back to just life in general, um, we survive by understanding that something in the something in the past was dangerous and when the situation arises again then of course you avoid it and so if you don't pay attention to these cues in the present that were dangerous in the past then you don't you don't survive so you come from a very chaotic background we don't feel safe more things in the present i mean they, they weren't that safe when you were a kid so in adulthood that carries through. And again, you get very reactive to the environment where a lot of people wouldn't be. So, yeah. so from your perspective, the, the attachment is sort of an, an evolving process with you right now, as far as your treatment approach. And uh, I, it's always in the background and I'm assessing on uh, how secure the patient feels with me, how safe they feel. And one of the things that I have learned from Peter Levine's somatic experiencing trauma training, mm -hmm. combining that with the newest research on memory reconsolidation, um, how we help somebody change is by helping them develop a feeling of safety and empowerment in relationship to those old memories. Right. Got it. Helping them understand that the hypervigilance was necessary, let's say, with their family of origin or in their culture. Right. But right now in the room with me, how safe do they feel? We start to differentiate the past danger from present safety. 
So I'm gonna say something odd to a psychologist here. So this is a programming problem, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I say a programming problem, it's not psychological because these are real reactions to real stimuli. So psychologists, of course, the ones to solve the problem, but we keep thinking that, okay, I react to the situation abnormally, that there must be something wrong with me, but it's a programming issue. Mm-hmm. And so the psychologists that understand that and move people forward and retrain as opposed to endlessly analyzing the problem are much more successful in helping people solve the problem. So I'd like to take the last five minutes. In the second podcast, I want to go into some detail about what you actually do with patients and how you accomplish that task. <clears throat> but you have lots of things going on here. I'd like to, um, first of all, just ask you where your practice is, some of the books you've written. Mm-hmm. You're, you have a workshop coming up. So um your practice is in New York City, right? Yes. And currently I'm practicing from my home office because okay. of the pandemic. And so you're doing virtual work then? Mm-hmm. And can you work across state lines or are you just limited to New York? I'm limited to doing psychotherapy within New York State. And I have a temporary license in New Jersey because of the pandemic. Okay. And I do live coaching for pain management across state lines. Oh, you do? How yeah. do we, how would, is that a group setting or individual? That's individual. individual. So you, you do pain coaching? Pain coaching. Okay. So, um, you know. Coaching because I don't do traditional psychotherapy. Right. People internationally and within the states of the United States. Right. So. As you know, with my process, the doc journey, you know, it's very self-directed, but coaching is incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. So people are always asking me for resources about where do I get coaching? So how do, how would one of my, how would people access your coaching services? Just go to my website. Okay. com, okay. Or the website that I share with my co-author, Eric Sherman, Pathways to Pain Relief, which okay. is name of the book of case studies that we published in 2013 which is now available in spanish okay yeah so it's easy to reach me and then you're putting on a live webinar um with nick stratton and georgie oldfield that is in february is that correct february 27th february 27th yes it's organized by the conference sponsor confer uk and they've opened a branch in the United States as well. So I would, so we'll, we'll put these into the program notes about how to access, access that um, seminar. So Georgie Oldfield, as you know, is wonderful. She does, yeah. know, she does, she's, I just talked to her a few weeks ago and she's somebody who single-handedly has brought all these concepts to life in, in uh, the United Kingdom. In the UK, yes. And then Nick Strayton is a family practitioner who's sort of a wild man. He he stays in shape by practicing swords. Did you know that? No. So my wife and I, when we were in London at this conference where I met you, um, I met Nick Strayton and we sort of bonded a little bit, but he's a wonderful guy, very enthusiastic about this whole approach. And, but it came out of the conversation, he practices staying in shape by practicing swords. That's, that's his conditioning program. So he's a great guy. So I would encourage people to, um, to look at that conference um, very carefully. And then you, you so you, or the book you authored was called what again? Uh, co-authored with Eric Sherman is Pathways to Pain Relief. Uh-huh. 
Yes, and that's an um, available digitally okay. on its paper. Great. And then my two academic books, uh, the first one was published in 1998, co-edited with Lewis Aaron, the late Lewis Aaron, a mentor, okay. uh, Relational Perspectives on the Body. Right. And I edited a book in two, uh, 2007, Bodies in Treatment. And in that book, my chapter is about 30 years of going for body work at the same time I was in traditional psychoanalysis. Great. And perhaps you will want to ask me about my 20-year symptom of uh, headaches. Can you tell me about your 20-year symptom of headache? <laughs> um, I had been working with Dr. Sarno's patients for about four years. Okay. And I started to get these headaches here. Okay. And it was at a time I was still working at Rusk and I, I was also an administrator for psychology interns. Okay. And that was very stressful. Okay. Uh, had a lot of responsibility with very little support and I was very angry and I felt helpless and I knew what this was. Okay. And even though I was in analysis and working really hard on this, it wouldn't go away. And I did have a check by a neurologist just to be sure. And there was no, there was no problem. I didn't think there was. And I did not, I continued to have them. And it was embarrassing because I was healing Dr. Sarno's patients. And there I was having headaches. And I knew what the problem was, but I was not yet ready to do what I needed to do and face up to the fact that I was living with um, in a state of hypervigilance. And I, I grew up in a family where there was a lot of tension. Right. I grew up afraid, like many of my patients. Not severe abuse, but enough to keep me hypervigilant all the time. So when you describe how the uh, growing up with the brain bathed in that uh, combination of stress hormones, that right. was me. And that continued. And it got me far. But it was causing my headaches. That combined with being angry and feeling helpless. Right. So when I was able to finally face that and start regulating my autonomic nervous system, I, my headaches went away. Wow. And I just want to make sure, again, I'll just be, I'm going to say the obvious to you, but those weren't imaginary headaches. No. And again, why were those there? And again, the body's chemistry changes. You have adrenaline, cortisol, but more importantly, your metabolism is higher and your body is full of these inflammatory cytokines. And these inflammatory cytokines actually inflame your brain. They actually cause inflammation in the brain itself. And so it's not, again, it's physiological. Mm -hmm. And as you change the body's physiology and use the magic word, regulate your auto-regulate or regulate your body's own chemistry, um, symptoms disappear. And that's what's been so exciting, I think, for both of us is watching people go from being bounced around the system, losing hope, yes. and relatively quickly, you can change things around relatively quickly, and it's not very hard. And so 
But anyway, well, Fran, thank you very much. I learned a few things today. I'm excited to, you know, to get to know you a little bit better myself. And then uh, on the next podcast that we're going to do here in a few minutes that we'll discuss your actual approaches with people. But no, thank you very, very much for being on the program. Thank you for inviting me. A pleasure to be here. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Francis Summer Anderson, for being on the show today and for sharing the evolution of her approach to treating mind-body pain since her early days working with Dr. John Sarno. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.